Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and today is episode 18, the effect of triple therapy on the mortality of catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome patients. This was published by the CAPS Registry Project Group in April of 2018. Now, I chose this trial because I wanted to talk about CAPS for a little while. I think it's a very interesting disorder, but it's not one that we see very often. Consequently, there's really no good research on it. I believe this is the largest trial published to date, and for that reason, I think it was worth talking about. So for background, the antiphospholipid syndrome is diagnosed when a patient has clinical manifestations and antiphospholipid labs. The antiphospholipid labs that we care about are the lupus anticoagulant, the beta-2 glycoprotein, and the anticardiolipin. Clinical manifestations fall into two main categories. The first is thrombus. Any arterial or venous thrombus will do. I would say that I put a little more credence on arterial thrombi, especially if they're in weird locations that you don't typically expect. The second clinical category is pregnancy morbidity. Because it's relatively common to have spontaneous abortions before the 10th week of gestation, you need to have three of those to qualify. After the 10th week of gestation, any spontaneous fetal death of a morphologically normal fetus without some other explanation, can qualify. You can also have one or more premature births of a normal fetus before the 34th week of gestation because of eclampsia, severe preeclampsia, or recognized features of placental insufficiency. So think in the back of your mind that you need labs, you need one of these vascular phenomenon, be those clots or pregnancy issues. Now, some patients with antiphospholipid syndrome develop what we call the catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome. This is a combination of diffuse microthrombi and a catecholamine storm. Now, mercifully, the disease is quite rare. In a large study of 1,000 patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, only 8 out of 1,000 had catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome at diagnosis. So thankfully, it's not that common. Now, diagnosing the catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome is even more complicated. Thankfully, the large catastrophic APLS study group published some preliminary criteria in 2003 that we still generally use today. I'm going to oversimplify this a bit, but essentially there's four features. The first is evidence of involvement of three or more organs. The second is development of manifestations simultaneously or in less than a week. The third is confirmation by histopathology of small vessel occlusive disease in at least one organ or tissue. And the fourth is confirmation by laboratory of the antiphospholipid labs, at least one of the three major ones. If you meet all four of the criteria, you have definite catastrophic APLS, If you only meet three of the four, you have probable catastrophic APLS. As far as treatment is concerned, people have generally just done the things that make sense. There's a cytokine storm, so people tend to give high-dose glucocorticoids. There's small clots everywhere, so we give anticoagulation. We think that the antiphospholipid antibodies themselves are to blame, so we do plasma exchange to get rid of them. Some people will do IVIG, ostensibly, to get rid of them. There's no strong data for any of these, we're mostly just doing things that make sense. The fourth thing that's always recommended is to treat anything that could be a precipitating factor, but again, that's just common sense. So with that background, let's get into the paper on the effect of triple therapy for the catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome. So this was a retrospective cohort study of patients in the CAPS registry from 1992 to 2015, so a long period of time. CAPS registry contains 502 patients and 525 episodes of catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome. Only the first episodes were used for this trial. should note that that is a lot of episodes of catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome. Most physicians won't see anywhere near that in their entire life. It's very impressive that they got that many into a study at all. 
Patients are reported to the CAPS investigators via an anonymous, standardized reporting form, but the investigators also scrape the medical literature and try to gobble up any case reports they see as well. Catastrophic APLS episodes were classified into three groups, patients who got triple therapy, and by that they meant anticoagulation, corticosteroids, and plasma exchange plus or minus IVIG. People could get the components of the triple therapy, so one of the three, or none of the above. The stats were actually somewhat important here, so I want to talk about them briefly. Survival was a dependent variable in all the analysis. I like that. It's a nice patient-centric outcome. Odds ratios were calculated by the logistic regression. Confounders for the logistic regression were included if they were significantly associated in bivariate analysis. What were the potential confounders? They used age, year diagnosed, gender, presence of lupus, ANA, presence or type of precipitating factors, clinical manifestations, organs affected, the type of antiphospholipid labs, platelet count, hemolytic features, the prevalence of schistocytes, or treatment with cyclophosphamide. It's actually a pretty thorough list of confounders, especially with a registry study like this, where you're always going to be limited with how much information you can have. That's it for the methods. It's relatively short and sweet. So for the results, out of 502 episodes of catastrophic APLS, 31 were missing data, so 471 patients were ultimately included in analysis. Almost 70% were female, and the mean age was around 40. Primary antiphospholipid syndrome was to blame in 62% of cases, which roughly mirrors the prevalence in the general population. The most common treatment was anticoagulation. Something like 86% of patients got anticoagulation. 80% got corticosteroids, 35% got plasma exchange, and 26% got IVIG. 40% of patients, or 2 in 5, got their triple therapy with anticoagulation, corticosteroids, and plasma exchange, plus or minus IVIG. I know that's weird. Other combinations were also seen, most common of which was anticoagulation and corticosteroids. Something like a third of patients got just that. Now next we should talk about those confounders that I mentioned before. There were a lot of variables that were significantly associated with what kind of treatment you got. Ultimately, they did analysis between triple therapy and all other combinations. Variables that were significantly associated with triple therapy included gender, malignancy, thrombocytopenia, hemolysis, schistocytes, or patients who also received cytoxin. None of these were glaringly different, although in general, it seems like people who had thrombocytopenia and hemolysis were much more likely to get triple therapy, and patients with malignancy were much more likely to get other combinations of things. So those are the variables. Let's talk about what they actually found. Overall mortality was high at 37% of cases. That is pretty bad. The mortality was lower in patients who received triple therapy at 28.6%. Mortality was worse in those who received some combination of triple therapy, that was 41%. And in patients who received no therapy, mortality was 75%. Those are pretty scary numbers, but that 75% was nine out of 12 patients. So that number is being driven by a very small subset of the overall sample because most patients got at least one treatment. Patients who died from catastrophic APLS were also different from those who didn't die. They tended to be older, they're more likely to have malignancy, and they're more likely to have involvement of their lung, heart, or kidneys. The authors helpfully conclude that triple therapy led to a 46.4% reduction in the mortality rate compared with no therapy and a 12.5% reduction in the rate compared with any other combination. So pretty impressive numbers if you look at them just at face value. It's a number needed to treat of 2 for triple therapy versus nothing, and a number needed to treat of something like 8 for
or triple therapy versus some combination of therapies. Now, as far as plasma exchange and IVIG are concerned, they had that weird variable where they said plasma exchange plus or minus IVIG. You'd like to see them pick one or the other, but fortunately that's not what they did. So the patients who did receive triple therapy, 44% received plasma exchange, 33% received IVIG, and 23% received IVIG and plasma exchange. The mortality was not significantly different between those groups, and plasma exchange did not seem to provide any value clearly over IVIG. So what do we take from this trial? Well, I think the one thing that we can definitely agree on is that the mortality of catastrophic APLS is very high. Anything that carries almost a 40% mortality is a very scary disease. I think we have to commend the authors for collecting this many cases of catastrophic APLS because it's just so rare. They also did a nice job of identifying confounders, and all of their identified confounders made sense. That being said, I think there's a number of very important weaknesses that we have to consider. I was saying that they did a nice job of controlling for various possible confounders, but let's pull back on that briefly. For one, they used bivariate testing to establish which confounders were actually associated. This is relatively standard. A lot of people do it this way. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem, however, is I don't think the study was powered to detect differences in some of these. Once you start slicing and dicing the overall sample that way, you wind up with very small numbers in some of the categories. This was especially important in the group that got no treatment. While the overall sample of 471 patients was quite large, only 12 patients didn't get treated. Makes it hard to run statistics because that one category is going to throw you off. Focusing on that fact that there were only 12 people who got no treatment, that actually really opens us up to the possibility for unmeasured confounding. Although they said that they tried to control for the variables they knew, you just can't control for everything that makes those people different. Let's take a step back and talk about a situation where a patient presented with catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome and the physicians treating them decided just to not do anything about it. Doesn't seem very likely. There's probably a good reason that the patient didn't receive treatment. Perhaps they were diagnosed far too late, so they're already maxed on pressors and had already reached a goals of care conversation where the decision was made to not treat. Of course, their mortality would be very high in that case. Perhaps they're in small hospitals that weren't familiar with treating catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome and also weren't prepared to handle a patient who is this sick. The kinds of scenarios you could paint are infinite, but the point is just that the 12 patients who didn't get any treatment for this condition that physicians know carries almost a 50% mortality had to be different from the people who did get treated in some fundamental ways that we're just not measuring. This is one of the reasons I thought this would be a good trial to talk about, because it really highlights the problems of unmeasured confounding. These people did a great job of trying to find the things that would confound their study, but ultimately, you just can't know all of them. And it's hard for me to believe that those 12 patients who didn't get treatment are the same as the over 450 patients who did. Moving from that group to the people who got some combination of triple therapy, but not all of it, again, there's probably some unmeasured confounding here. Why wouldn't you give all three therapies? This has been a recommendation since the early 2000s. You'd think that large academic centers who had experience in treating antiphospholipid syndrome would give all three therapies, unless perhaps there was some sort of contraindication to giving one of them. Maybe some of the patients who didn't get anticoagulation didn't get them because they had a massive brain bleed. That patient would of course be much more likely to die than the patient who didn't. Maybe the patients who didn't get corticosteroids didn't get them because they had some overriding infection. Again, 
that would make them more likely to die than the patients who did get the triple therapy. At the end of the day, when you step back and look at data from a broad perspective like this, you just don't know what was driving those differences. It may have been the treatment, but it may have been the fact that those people didn't get those treatments because of something we don't know. I suspect the patients that were in those two groups were more similar to each other than the ones who were in the none group. The number needed to treat there was eight. I would bet that there's some unmeasured confounding that would probably adjust that number downwards if we actually conducted a randomized controlled trial. It's probably never going to happen. So my practice is to try to do triple therapy on all the patients who come through. At the end of the day, that's sometimes what happens in medicine. Even though I strongly doubt that these results would be as strong as they look now if we conducted a proper trial, we don't have any other options, and it seems reasonable. That's it for this week. Be sure to tune again next week when we talk about a small study that answers the most vexing question in rheumatology. What do I do with that ANA referral? Thanks again for coming, everybody. Hope you all have a great week. <laughs>